Well, if you would, we're going back to Mark. Mark chapter 6. And we'll begin reading in verse 30 through verse 44. Mark chapter 6, verse 30, and it says, And the apostles gathered themselves together unto Jesus, and told him all things, both what they had done and what they had taught. And he said unto them, Come ye yourselves apart into a desert place, and rest a while. For there were many coming and going, and they had no leisure so much as to eat. And they departed into a desert place by ship privately. And the people saw them departing, and many knew him, and ran afoot thither out of all cities, and out went them, and came together unto him. And Jesus, when he came out, saw much people, and was moved with compassion toward them, because they were as sheep not having a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when the day was now far spent, his disciples came unto him and said, This is a desert place, and now the time is far past. Send them away, that they may go into the country round about and into the villages and buy themselves bread, for they have nothing to eat. And he answered and said unto them, You give them to eat. And they said unto him, Shall we go and buy two hundred penny worth of bread and give them to eat? And he said unto them, Well, how many loaves have you? Go and see. And when they knew, they saved five and two fishes. And he commanded them to make all sit down by companies upon the green grass. And they sat down in ranks by hundreds and by fifties. And when he had taken the five loaves and the two fishes, he looked up to heaven and blessed and brake the loaves and gave them to his disciples to set before them. And the two fishes divided he among them all. And they did all eat and were filled. And they took up twelve baskets full of the fragments and of the fishes. And they that did eat of the loaves were about 5,000 men. And let's pray. And Father, once again, we open your word and we listen for your voice to speak to us tonight, Lord. And we open our hearts to that. And I just ask that you'll show us that you are the God that can take the little we have and bless it and multiply it. Because you are the God that can do impossible things. And we just thank you that we'll see that and you'll show us that tonight in Jesus name. You know, the, the key verse in this section is verse 37. When Jesus tells those 12 apostles, the 12 disciples, he tells them, he says, you give them to eat. And they couldn't, but they did. And what he's teaching them is about ministry. And that's what he's teaching us. So we're seeing as we move on through Mark, he's getting his disciples more involved in his ministry. And that's really been his plan from the beginning. So when he went along that seashore early on and he calls Peter, Andrew, James and John, what does he say to them? He says, come, follow me. And what's he going to do with them? He says, you're not going to be fishing for fish anymore. You're going to be fishing for men. I'll make you fishers of men. We've read this several times back in chapter 3, verse 14. He went up into that mountain and he called the 12 unto them. And it said he ordained 12 that they should be with him. That was one purpose. And that's mainly been what they've doing up to this point. And the second one was and that he might send them forth to preach. And that's the very thing he did in this chapter we're in, chapter 6, verses 7 to 13. It says in verse 7 that he called unto him the twelve and began to send them forth. So here it is. They're learning how to minister as they've seen the master minister. And so we've also said that we're reading all this in the gospel of Mark, not so that we can just be reading an interesting history lesson. Just sitting back, well, this is just an interesting story, all these narratives we're reading. 
But to see what he called them to do is what he has called us to do. That's the reason that we're reading that. And so we talked in Acts 8 when the church was scattered because of the persecution of Stephen. What did it say they did? It says they went forth everywhere. Everywhere they went, it said they preached the word. They gossiped the word. What were they doing? They're sharing their experience that they had with the Lord Jesus Christ and how the gospel changed their life. And their message would have been the goodness of God. That's what they were preaching. The goodness of God is not going to leave you in your sins, but the goodness of God is going to lead you to repentance. And Paul says that in Romans 2, 4. He says, knowing that the goodness of God, the goodness of God leads us to repentance. So if we want to really truly proclaim that God is good and God is love and all that, what we're going to tell somebody is, that is found in repentance, in turning from your sins. And we're going to have to trust God to show a way to tell him that. So it's not an in-your-face, be nasty about it. But we need to say that, hey, you need to turn from your sins. That's how I found life. That there's death in sin. There's bondage in sin. And the freedom that he's given us is through repentance. The, the, the goodness of God will lead you to repentance. And so if we leave that out... If we leave the message of repentance and sin out, we are not leading them to life. So let's look at that if you would. If you just put something there in Mark and turn back to Acts 11. I'd like us to see this. Acts 11, beginning in verse 14. Peter's describing what happened in the house of Cornelius. And we're kind of cutting in on this talk here. Let's go to verse 13. And he showed us how he had seen an angel, Cornelius, in his house, which stood and said to him, Send men to Joppa and call for Simon, whose surname is Peter, who shall tell thee words whereby thou and all thy house shall be saved. And as I began to speak, Peter relates, the Holy Ghost fell on them as on us at the beginning. And then I remembered the word of the Lord, how that he had said, John indeed baptized with water. But you shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost, for as much then as God gave them what the like gift as he did unto us who believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, what was I then? They're Gentiles, but what was I that I could withstand God? And look at verse 18. He's telling this to the disciples in Jerusalem. It says, when they heard these things, they held their peace. And they glorified God, saying, Then has God also to the Gentiles done what? He's granted repentance that does what? That repentance is what leads them to life. So I'm saying we've got to somehow get that, figure out, God, show me how I can preach this in a way that I'm comfortable and they're comfortable. But I need to tell this person that doesn't know you that's a sinner, they have got to turn from their sins and repent. Otherwise, they'll have no life. Because Jesus said, unless you repent, Luke 13, unless you repent, you will perish. It's key. That's what I wanted us to see there. Repentance unto life. The repentance that leads to life. So if we could go back to Mark 6. And we'll begin looking at starting in verse 30. So the apostles, they've come back from preaching, going out two by two, telling men that they should repent and healing the sick. If you go back and read that, they healed the sick, and it's one of the few places it talks about outside of James, I believe, they anointed with oil. The presence of the Holy Spirit was with them. That was, that's significant in that, right? So they tell Jesus everything that's happened. That's what we see there in verse 30. They gathered themselves together unto Jesus, told him all things, both what they had done and what they had taught. 
told them how all that went. Anybody ever share the gospel with somebody? I mean, first thing you do when you want to get home is tell your spouse, tell somebody how it went both ways. Isn't that it? You're excited about that, man. I mean, I'm saying that's a good way to rejuvenate your Christian life is to trust God to send somebody you can share the gospel with. All of a sudden, everything has a purpose, has a meaning. That's the way it's intended to be. But he's listening to them, and they're telling him all about what happened. But ministry, guess what? When you do all that, you're dealing with people, and you're working in the spirit, ministering to people. It is tiring. It is. It really is. And so in verse 31, Jesus is concerned about their health. They've had a lot of nonstop ministry. And look what he says in verse 31. And he said to them, you need to come apart into a desert place. You need to rest a while. You guys have been busy doing ministry. For there were many coming and going and they had no leisure, not so much as to eat. So listen, burning the candle at both ends in ministry or work or as a student or as a housewife, seven days a week, never stopping is not the Lord's way. We got to see that. You got to take a break. Even the Lord himself would do what? Many times he's had these crowds pressing on him. They're drawing power out of him. The woman that touches him, it's taxing on him. And so what would he do? I mean, he didn't get to go on a vacation to Florida, but he had to get away from him, had to recharge his batteries. He'd go up in the mountains. He'd get away from all of that and spend time praying, get into a quiet place. And that's what he's wanting to do here with these men, because there's been many a minister that has burnt themselves out by just pressing, 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 because they see all these needs, all these needs are coming their way, and they just don't know how to say no. I mean, one of the great evangelists, Jack Coe, he can get on YouTube, I believe, and watch him minister. I mean, I really like that guy. And Gordon Lindsay writes about him in this book of his, auto, his own autobiography. And Jack Coe was just, I believe he really had a heart for the Lord, really had a heart for people. But that was part of his problem. Had a tremendous healing anointing on him. He was an orphan, and he loved ministering to the orphans. Had orphanages, praying for the sick. But Gordon Lindsay said he stayed up late. He ate late meals. He didn't get enough rest, and he died at a young age. God wants us to rest. We've got to find a rest. Now, some people, they don't have any trouble resting. They probably maybe need to ratchet it up a little bit, right? But you can burn yourself out. So, like I said, that's true for anybody. Even a workaholic, if you're a workaholic, we can take it into that realm because, you know, God built that day of rest. It's built into creation. It's not part of the law. And I knew this couple one time. I worked for, their whole plan was, and they were proud of it, they were going to work seven days a week, 12 hours a day. Both of them had these jobs that were big paying jobs, and their goal was, we're going to make so much money, we can retire while we're in our late 30s, early 40s, and it's vacations and parties the rest of our life. And they were, thought they were well on their way, and I'm going to tell you what, that didn't happen. They got divorced, and no more money, everything fell apart. Because you got to do things God's way, and that's not his way. Amen. <laughs> it's just not the way it is. So we have here in verse 32, they all get in a ship. He's concerned about him. He says, we need to take a break so they can get away by themselves. And it says there they departed to a desert place. It's really, it means a remote place, a deserted place, a place that there ain't going to be anybody around. That's where he's trying to take them to. The problem is, we see in verse 33 there, the people, apparently they're following along the shore. The boat's out there. They're running around following, and they're anticipating where that boat's going to land. Look what it says in verse 33. And they ran a foot thither out of all the cities and out went them and came together 
unto them. Now, at King James, that all out went thither and all. It's just a little awkward for us modern people to read. John Bunyan wouldn't have had any trouble reading that. But the New King James actually helps out a little bit there. And it says that verse 33 this way, But the multitude saw them departing. So they see Jesus and the disciples, and many knew him. And they ran there on foot from all the cities. They arrived before them and came together unto him. So what's happening in here is the rest that Jesus and his disciples were looking forward to, it doesn't last any longer than when they got on that boat and just went a little ways and came to a shore, to a secluded place that was formerly a secluded place. Now it's got this big crowd gathering. But listen, there is something. He's concerned about their health, but there's something that overrides his concern even for his disciples getting to rest. And you know what that is? It's another C word compassion because that's what happens so if that was us and we'd been around people a lot and we're trying to get a break and they won't leave us alone we would probably be what we'd probably get frustrated and impatient with this constant non-let up of the crowd making demands but jesus looks at this crowd that's gathering on this shore these thousands of people right it says much people in the bible but we know he fed at least five thousand he looks on these people and he doesn't see something that is annoying him, but he sees people there that have these great needs. That's what he's looking at. They don't have any godly leadership, and it says they are, in verse 34, they are as sheep not having a shepherd. That's the way he sees them, and that's used many times. I think at least four places in the Old Testament that expression is used. And so Isaiah says, when the Lord comes back, when his people have been beaten down, when they're brought back from captivity, here's how God treats his people, us. This is the compassion he has. Isaiah 40, 11, it says, he shall feed his flock like a shepherd. He shall gather the lambs with his arm and carry them in his bosom and shall gently lead those that are with young. So it says he shall feed his flock like a shepherd. The primary duty of a shepherd is to do what? It's to feed the flock. And so when it says he looks on that crowd with compassion, that word means your guts. It's kind of a crude way of saying it, but that's what it's talking about. It's not his mood with his mind. He sees this. No, it's like his bowels is literally what that word is. It's his innermost being. What he sees with these people it's affecting him to the core of his being, their needs. That word is only used to Jesus many times. He said that about the leper. He sees that leper, that pitiful man. We read that earlier. He was moved with compassion with him. But he sees out this crowd. So they're like sheep without a shepherd. And here they are. He's looking out from that boat. And they all had their white turbans on and this green pasture. They probably look like a bunch of sheep. But they're malnourished spiritually. And aimless. It'd be like us, if you ever see those newsreels and documentaries or pictures of those people in the Holocaust, and they're totally malnourished and been mistreated, and you can see that, if that doesn't move you or bring tears to your eyes, there's something wrong. And that's what Jesus is seeing with these people. They've got leaders, they've got Bible teachers, but they're not feeding them. They're feeding themselves, is what the Bible says. These people aren't being fed. And they're not doing well. He's moved with compassion. And so what does that cause him to do? Look at the end of verse 34. And he began to teach them many things. Now, if that happened today, 
and somebody saw them today, you wouldn't expect him to teach them, but you'd expect him with today's society, let's all get together and let's have a group hug. Right. That's where we're at today in our society. Or you all need some therapy or I'm going to set you up for some crisis counseling because you don't look good. But what does he see? It says right there the Bible and Mark does not always get into the technicalities of what he taught. But many times his theme is Jesus taught. He went about the city's teaching and preaching. It's a constant theme. And we see that here. It says he taught many things. Luke's account says he taught about the kingdom of God. And what would that be, the kingdom of God? I mean, that's a pretty broad subject. But it's the things in Luke 4. The Spirit of God. It's not just the Word. It's the Word and the Spirit combined. The Spirit of God has anointed me to teach deliverance to the brokenhearted, deliverance to the captives, right? The opening of the eyes of the blind. Forgiveness. You can be delivered from these spirits. That's what we see going on in these synagogues. He's teaching them the good things of the kingdom of God. You can be set free from your sinful past and on and on, the restoration of God's presence. These multitudes hearing him teach, I can guarantee you one thing, it would have been anointed teaching by the Lord Jesus Christ. So he'd have been taking scripture, he would have been using the Old Testament, and by the Spirit of God showing how that all pointed to him and his kingdom. That's what it would have been all about. And guess what? He was teaching. This wasn't like us where we go 50 minutes to an hour and we're ready to shut her down. I mean, he's out there teaching for hours, these people. 5,000 people are held captive by the Lord Jesus Christ teaching with the anointing of God. And that's what will happen. I think it speaks to me a lot of when those two men on the road to Emmaus, the two disciples, are walking with Jesus, and it says he began with Moses and all the prophets and expounded unto them all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. I think that's what he would have been doing here. And it was the same way with those disciples there. They begged him, spend the night with us. We've not heard these kinds of words, and we saw that at the beginning of Mark. No man spake like this man with this anointing, with this authority. And they can't get enough of it. They want him to spend the night. And he tells them, hey, when he breaks the bread, all of a sudden what happened when he did that? Because it's symbolic. He vanished out of their sight. He'd been breaking bread with them. Vanished out of their sight. And here's what these men said, which I think this 5,000 people would have said after hearing him speak for hours. Did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us by the way and while he opened unto us the scripture? I think that's what happened to those 5,000 when they were sitting there and Anytime you hear a good anointed message, time just flies on by, doesn't it? And that's apparently what happened. I think that's what happened to this crowd. Hours of teaching just seemed like minutes, and they didn't care about eating. When you're under anointed, you really think about, man, I can't wait to get to McDonald's. I don't. I really don't. I'm thinking, man, so there is nowhere else I'd rather be than right here, honestly. That's what I'll think when I'm hearing a good anointed preaching or teaching, whatever. And that was their greatest need. He's moved with compassion. And what does he do? It says he teaches them. That was their greatest need. And I'm saying there is a big movement today to minimize teaching and put most, if not all, emphasis on gifts and ministry. My thing is, look, I'm not against that. And the Bible doesn't pit one against another. I think we need to have a Holy Spirit-inspired meeting is going to have both, isn't it? Amen. 
That's the kind of meeting I want this to be. I don't want it to just be me coming, preaching, and you all go home. And that's the end of it. That's not what it's all about, is it? I mean, it's all about, hey, we come and we're ministering to each other. And there does need to be the word preached. You take that away, and I'm telling you, it'll all shrivel up and die quickly. Believe me. This whole thing of taking down teaching is not something new that's happened in church history. God, I'm most edified when God's Spirit's moving into me. We had this happen, was it Sunday? Somebody shares a scripture, then that brings somebody else. They remember a dream they had, and then they have an experience. It's just the Spirit of God starts moving that way. And I'm saying, that's when I'm edified. Well, I'd like to have it to where really somebody gets anointed. I've been praying, fasting. God's anointed me. And I mean, I know I'm going to pray for this person, and they're going to either be delivered of this Spirit, or they are going to be healed now. Like somebody said, if it's a gift moving, it's not taken by faith three years from now, it's going to be manifested. If it's really God moving in a gift, it's going to happen now. Oh, would we like to see that? Boy, I'd love to see that. I hope that's what we're praying for. Revival is the body ministering to itself in love and others too. So all I could say is as far as this whole teaching thing is that God's put pastors and teachers in the body for a reason. So yeah, the Bible's plain. But all the truth is just not sitting on the surface. Otherwise, you know, what is the point of Ephesians 4 of having pastors and teachers? If all we can do, we just all just need to go home and read our Bible and we'll get everything we need out of that. What's the point then? Honestly. (laughs) All right. Now, hey, we have a responsibility to check out what's being said. And I believe 1 John says that the anointing you have, you're going to witness whether somebody is speaking the truth or not. But to say we can just do away with teaching, we don't need it, it's all that. I'm saying that is problematic. I think it's biblically problematic. And right now there's a dearth, if you don't like that word, a famine that has already taken place in America for true Bible teaching. So we're not saying, please, I'm not saying we got all the truth, never thought that. No one's saying that. No one's ever said that, right? But I'll tell you, when the famine comes, it's not going to be for Bibles to read. I don't think that's what the famine is going to be all about. But it's going to be hearing a word from God from his ministers. Now, I don't know how many of you have noticed this through the years. There's been a lot of times driving along, you turn the radio on. I mean, I used to hear Bob Russell all the time. I'd have a message on something. I'd get here, Brother Hamilton speaking the same thing. God's going to feed his people. He's given a word to a body through the, the pastor, the teacher. That's the way it works. So you can get stuff from other people, but hmm, I just think that's the way things are designed. It's not the same. It's just reading your Bibles. And here's what it says in Amos. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord God, that I will send a famine in the land, not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. And they shall wander from sea to sea and from north, even the east, and they shall run to and fro to seek the word of the Lord, and it says they shall not find it. Now, let me share this with you. This is written by somebody that was over in China. They were involved in a huge revival that's still taking place, and this is back from a few years ago, and I just found this interesting. This is some observations this man made with comparing Chinese and English-speaking people. He says this, Chinese Christians are willing to put aside all other interests and concentrate on the revival. They were having revival at the time without missing a single meeting. English speaking Christians treat the special meetings as a side issue and attend only occasionally. 
Chinese Christians come early to every service bringing their Bibles and hymn books. English-speaking people try to avoid the preliminaries and the ladies bring their vanity cases. The Chinese come for spiritual help. They enjoy long sermons and feel they have had a real feast. English-speaking people want to be entertained. They like the addresses, quote, short and sweet. There is a struggle before the Chinese come to the altar, but they do come. English-speaking people with all their courage and boldness and other spheres seem too timid to make a public confession of Christ. What pleading it takes to overcome that reserve. And the last thing he said, Chinese are bold to witness for Christ on street corners in villages and markets. English-speaking people, they'll pray and give, but it is almost impossible to get them to open their mouths. Wow, kind of an indictment. Uh, that may sound hard, but I didn't write it. That's just what somebody else said, and I thought I'd read it to you. But he says there's going to be a famine in the land. People take it for granted, and we think it can't happen. But guess who it did happen to? These very ones that Jesus is teaching right here. It happened to them. It's taken off the scene for them, right? It was removed. Their house, what did he say? He wept over Jerusalem. The ones he preached to, the ones he taught. The one his bowels of compassion were moved for. He cared about him. He wept over Jerusalem, but he says, your house is going to be left desolate. And it was. We can't take things for granted. You take for granted what you just think, man, this will always be around. It's not necessarily, right? It's something we need to pray for and act on what's being taught. And I know of a church. We'll just say at some point, I know of a church that had a teacher and he was an anointed teacher in my opinion. And he had a series on a weekday night he was given on the book of Jeremiah. And Lisa and I went, started going to that. And I mean, it was very good. And the people that came, it wasn't the bulk of the church, but it was a pretty good chunk of that church came. And I'm telling you, everybody that came to that meeting, it, everybody liked it. It was anointed. Everyone was being fed by it. And that went on for about a month. All of a sudden, it stopped because a major holiday came around. And I'm thinking, okay, let's get through this holiday, which lasts about a month, and then probably they'll pick it right back up. That was the end of it. So we left us hanging in Jeremiah chapter 6. I mean, I could have gotten up to at least chapter 15. I mean, it was just really good. And, you know, this minister, I'm saying, what do people do? He stayed at the church for a few years. He's gone now. They don't have that anymore. Like, man. Can't take it for granted. What if a person went to that church to hear that guy preach? He's not even around. He's gone. Somebody that God used. So I don't know all the wherefores and all that, but I'm saying it's something you can't take for granted. So Jesus teaches this crowd until it's almost dark down in verse 35. And the day was now far spent. His disciples, they want to come and they're going to point out to Jesus the obvious in verse 35. They tell him this is a remote place. And the time is far past. Like, he didn't know that. I'm saying he's the one who picked out the spot. And like, he needs a sundial or something. I mean, he can't see that the sun's setting. You know, it's kind of funny. But they also, they're going to tell him, you think about this, the Lord Jesus Christ, these guys are going to tell him what to do. Look what they say to him. Verse 35, the day was far spent. His disciples came in and they say, this is a deserted place. Now the time is far spent. They tell him, well, send them away. Just, you just what you need to do, Jesus, that they may go into the country round about and into the villages and buy themselves bread, for they have nothing to eat. I mean, that's just a little bit disrespectful, wouldn't you say? I think Jesus knew what he was doing. 
he had control of the situation, but that's what happened nonetheless. So what happens there? You know, he doesn't get in the flesh. You know, you, you, a lot of times you just take for granted his reactions, but he didn't say, is there any way for you to talk to me, the son of God, with an anointing, obvious anointing, and the power that I've already demonstrated? He doesn't say anything like that, does it? Instead, he shocks them with this verse 37. He says, you give them something to eat. And their response is like, what? Do what? Give them something to eat? Are you kidding? You're going to tell us? The amount of money there is eight months' wages. You're going to tell us to spend eight months' wages for food for these people? You know, we don't have that kind of money. You know, do we, Judas? And Judas is like, you ain't going to have that kind of money as long as I got hold of the bag because I'm a thief. Yeah, he said, no, no, well, I'm holding the bag. And so Jesus goes on. He says, no, okay, y'all, just tell me, how many loaves do you have? Take your inventory. He tells them that in verse 35. And when they knew, they say five and two fishes. And Andrew and John's account, so this is the only miracle that is in all four Gospels, if you didn't know that. It's the only one that's in all four, the feeding of the 5,000. And in John's account, Andrew says, yep, we got the five loaves, and they were only little small loaves like that, enough for one person at the most. It wasn't like they're these big things you might get at a bakery somewhere. And he says, well, what is that amongst so many? That's not going to do much. And so Jesus commands his disciples in verse 39 to do what? He says, I want you to make those people sit down in groups of 50 or 100. And they had to be thinking, man, this guy is crazy. You know, he's asking us to tell these people to sit down in groups when all we got is this little pittance and it's getting dark. And I'm sure the people are saying, you know, they're telling him, we all need you to sit down in groups of 50. And he's like, why are you doing this? They're like, I don't know why we're doing this. I mean, we thought we were coming here for a rest. And he's commanded us to get you guys to sit in these groups of 50 to 100. You know, would you just please sit down? Just do it. You know, we aren't the ones in charge of this organization. Right. And I'll tell you what that reminds me of, because what's going on here? He's acting his faith and getting them to act their faith, so to speak. It reminded me of that story of George Mueller when he didn't have any money, no money and no food to feed his orphans. And despite that, the morning comes and he has all of those kids sit at those long tables. And he told the servants, he said, I want you all to get the plates out and I want you to get the forks and the knives and put it all on the table. Because somehow we're going to trust that God is going to bring food to us. And he has everybody bow their heads and thank God for the food that they were going to eat that they didn't see yet. And that's what they all did. And when they were done, the story goes, there was a knock at the door. And there's the baker. The baker stood there. He said, God woke me up in the middle of the night and told me to bake all this bread for your children and bring it to you. George Mueller's like, praise the Lord, we were waiting on you. And no sooner had he left, another knock at the door. They open the door, there's the milkman. The milkman says, yeah, my wheel fell off my cart right out in front of your orphanage here. And I need to go get help, but I know if I go get help, that all my milk is going to be stolen. And since I'm going to lose it either way, I just as soon give it to you and your children. Praise the Lord, bring it on in. And that's exactly what happened. That's great. And let me just say this parenthetically. And I remember hearing that testimony <laughs> right after I'd gotten saved, filled with the Holy Spirit, heard the faith message. I'm like, man, that's great. And I had a period of my life. Right then I had no money and no food and no breakfast to eat. I'm like, okay, well, I heard that testimony. It worked for George Mueller. This is no joke. So I lived with Joel and my older brother in an apartment at the time. Joel was dating his now wife, Sue. 
Okay, so it's in the morning. I'm sitting there and I pray, thank you, Lord, for my food. I've got my table, my bowl and everything, nothing in any of it, right? Sue comes walking in. What are you doing? And she's a total heathen at this time. I'm like, well, I, I prayed and I asked God to supply my breakfast and it's coming, it, you know, whatever. She's like, right. I mean, it, was, it couldn't have been more humiliating, you know. So she just walks off. I'm sitting there thinking, you idiot. Well, anyways, so how did my breakfast come? Well, I didn't get a knock on the door like George Mueller and all that. No, I called up my dad, asked him what he was doing. So I'm having pancakes. Why don't you come over and eat? So it was as simple as that. I mean, God did supply my needs. But all I'm saying is we can't do testimonies that we hear of other people. We've got to be led of the Spirit. So, you know, that's just one way you'll learn about that, right? Well, look what he does. He commanded them to sit down in groups of 50 and 100. In verse 40, look at this. And they all sat down in ranks by hundreds by 50. In verse 39, he commanded them to make all sit down by companies. And where are they sitting down? Where does it say they're sitting down? The green grass. So it's not a desert. What does that speak to you of? He's sitting them down in the green grass. So Mark is showing us here that the Jesus of the New Testament is the Lord of the Old Testament. Psalm 23. They're like sheep without a shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. So you look at this. What's going on here? The good shepherd, the Lord Jesus, he's taking care. I shall not want. He's taking care of all of their wants here. He's already met their spiritual wants or needs, and now he's ministering to their physical needs, making them lie down in the green pastures. So he takes that food. He takes that little bit of bread they have, looks up to heaven, it says. He blesses it, breaks the loaves, gives it to the disciples to share with the people, and a miracle takes place. And I'm saying there are a lot of commentators out there that want to say, oh, no, this wasn't a miracle. What happened was everybody had their bread and their sandwiches hiding in their cloaks. And when they saw that little boy was so generous, they thought, ah, I can't do this. And they're all pulling out their sandwiches and sharing them with each other. That's not what happened. I mean, it really isn't. No, a miracle takes place. And the little bit they had, that little bit was multiplied by God right before their eyes. A lot of people don't know this. That's not the first time that miracle had taken place in the Bible. Did you know that? So if you put something there, we can look at this. Turn back to 2 Kings 4. 2 Kings chapter 4. And beginning in verse 42, it says this with Elijah. And there came a man from Baal, Shalisha, and brought the man of God bread of the first fruits. He's, the man of God is Elisha. Bread of the first fruits, 20 loaves of barley. And full ears of corn in the husk thereof. And he said, give unto the people. Elisha says, give unto the people that they may eat. And his servitor said, what? Should I set this before a hundred men? In other words, I don't have near enough. Just like the apostles. And he said again, give the people that they may eat. For thus saith the Lord, they shall eat and shall leave thereof. They're going to have extra. In verse 44, so he set it before them and they did eat and left thereof according to the word of the Lord. Now, the difference between Jesus and Elisha was Elisha had 20 loaves. Jesus only had five. And Elisha had to feed 100 people. Those 20 loaves weren't going to come close to feeding them. And God, that's still a miracle. God did it. But Jesus didn't. He had to take less loaves and feed 5,000 because a greater than Elisha is here. But it's still a miracle in both cases. 
look at the irony of verse 43, and it says, And when they took up 12 baskets full of the fragments and of the fishes, they took it up. So the ones that had said back in verse 36, you need to send them away. We don't have anything to give them to eat. Jesus has to ask these guys. That had to be kind of humbling, you know. I want you guys, they each had their basket, all 12 of them. It's something a, a poor Jew would carry around. And they take their basket and they're filling those things up. Every one of them, they had said, this isn't going to work. They're giving Jesus a hard way to go. And yet they're filling up their baskets with all of the fragments that are left. So he's doing what? He's teaching them who he is. That's what he's teaching these guys. And they didn't get it because they weren't filled with faith at this point, were they? I mean, they are reluctant distributors of that food. But Jesus is saying, hey, I'm no ordinary man. That's what God's trying to teach them here. And can't we see that? The Lord we serve is no ordinary God. <laughs> These miracles that are taking place. You know, Mary had prophesied when she was carrying Jesus. When she saw Elizabeth, she says, my soul does magnify the Lord and my spirit has rejoiced in God, my Savior. And she goes on to say, he has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. And so what we're seeing here is the Lord Jesus Christ is our good shepherd. He will meet all of our needs. So if we're hungry, he will satisfy us. That's what it just said. We just read that. Spiritually and physically. And he does it through the church. That is how he meets the needs of the world now. So he takes our little that we have and multiplies it to others. You, can you hear him say that? You give them something to eat. We hear that from the Lord and we're like, what? How can I do that? I feel spiritually worthless. I feel spiritually bankrupt. I feel like I don't have anything or little or nothing to offer. And the Lord says this, he says, just take the little bit that you think you have and sit down with one of your children or all of your children and just share that little bit that God showed you in the scripture with them and watch him multiply it and bless it to them. He says, take that little bit you have, take that verse that you read and share it in the church. And watch God bless somebody and speak to them through this little simple scripture that you shared without much comment on it. And you think, man, that wasn't much. Well, it might have been much to somebody else. And it might have spurred somebody else on and spurred somebody else on. And next thing you know, we got a revival. Isn't that what we got going on here? There's a little few fishes, buddy. Everybody was filled and satisfied, it says. That's what God does. Or, you know, you got your testimony. As simple as you may think it is, you have that much, that little you do have if you're a Christian, and share it. And all you have to tell somebody is, I came to the place I realized I was a lost sinner, desperately needed help, knew I was going to hell, and God came and graciously forgave me. Show me if I'd surrender to him, repent of my sins, put my trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, everything would change, and it has. Can you say that? That wouldn't be hard to say. Say that much. To say. You don't know how much that'll speak. I mean, you hear testimonies on the other side of a hardened sinner that just says this person just said this little bit, but it just triggered. It was just an anointing on it. You know, there was a major revival, another revival in China. It was called the Shangtung Revival of 1933. And I read this years back. And came back to my memory when I was working on this sermon. There was a missionary from England that was there that was a single girl. 
And they said she was one of the most godly people, devout women. And this is what she would do. She would go up to people and she would even go up to missionaries that thought they were saved. And she would just ask them a simple question. Are you born again? Now, I mean, I wouldn't recommend that we try to do that here as far as, but it worked for her. And God took that simple question, as simple as it is. And I mean, you read this account, brought all these people under conviction. Somehow the Spirit of God anointed that and they realized one missionary says, I sat on the front row because I thought she'd figure I was really with it. And I was just praying she wouldn't ask me. And what happened was the woman said, I want all the missionaries here to just go out and ask people, are you born again? And this person that was sitting there said, I got ready to go out and do that. And I realized, how can I ask them something that I know hasn't happened within myself? And she got saved. And they called that revival the born again revival. Now I'm thinking, wow, only God could do that. As simple as that. Now you ask anybody, you go around and do that in America and everybody will tell you, sure. From the president right on down. All right? So a lot of people, you know, they'll read this account here in Mark 6, and they'll say, well, the emphasis seems to be on feeding the poor and meeting their needs. And I'm saying that is missing the point entirely. (laughs) So God wants to be the one who meets all of our needs. But first and foremost, what need do we see being met in this narrative? the spiritual need, and then comes, secondly, the physical needs. So it's not that God doesn't care about physical needs. But first and foremost, it's spiritual needs. And people today want to flip that around and make it primarily physical needs. And what that does is it leads to a social gospel. So you're going to minister to a man's comfort and deny him the gospel, and that is really showing the greatest lack of love you could. You build him a nice home, that's great. But if you haven't shared the gospel with him, all you've done is give him a nicer place to wait until he goes to hell. Got to share the gospel. And so in John's account, after the 5,000 were fed, after they got their bellies filled, it doesn't get into that in Mark, they were after Jesus like a bloodhound. And it says, listen to what he said to them. This is what he said to them. He says, you seek me. Not because you saw the miracles, but because you did eat of the loaves and were filled. And he tells them this, labor not for the meat or the food which perishes, but for the food which endures unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you. He's saying that's what you need to labor for. And that's what we need to labor to give people. No problem meeting their needs. Sometimes it's hard to witness to somebody that's hungry. And there's been a lot of times out on the street, some bum comes up and hits you up and wants food. And you'll say, well, I'm not going to give you money for drinking. He goes, no, I'm really hungry. You take him in on Wendy's, you take him in whatever, and you feed him. And they're open to hear the gospel. That's happened many times. Nothing wrong with that. But we got to have the spiritual in there. That's what Isaiah said, Isaiah 55. He said what Jesus says, wherefore do you spend money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which satisfies not? Isaiah says, hearken diligently unto me and eat ye that which is good and let your soul delight itself in fatness. And we sing this song, incline your ear and come to me here and your soul shall live and I will make an everlasting covenant with you. Why do you spend money, he would say on that, which doesn't profit you and fill your belly full of stuff that's not going to give you everlasting life? That's what he would say. And so I would say, if you want to read a book, I'll try to get it back in the old 
pastor's library, but there's a great autobiography. Now, I've taken this into prison and given away I don't know how many copies. Even hardened sinners will read Ray Comfort's autobiography. It's now, it's gone through several different titles. It's called Out of the Comfort Zone. And what I like about that book, the very first part of that book, it talks about when Ray moved from New Zealand to America. And this is years back. And he ministered to these prostitute, drug dealers, gang members, criminals in Los Angeles at this place that doesn't exist anymore, but at the time it did. It was called MacArthur Park. And he gave away sandwiches, gave away bread by the hundreds. But he would not give them away until he had first preached the gospel. And he'd have that bag of sandwiches. He'd be holding that bag of sandwiches and there'd be people coming up trying to steal those sandwiches out of the bag. And he would just use that as a gospel thing. He says, the Bible says, thou shalt not steal. He'd use that and they'd apologize. Oh, I'm sorry. You know, <laughs> here's these hard guys, they apologize. Or else he'd tell them, hey, I'm just asking you, please just take one sandwich so everybody else, you know, has a chance. And they'd be trying to get two. They'd be trying to pull all kinds of stuff on him. And, and some of the stories are really funny to read. He gave those sandwiches away after he preached, and God really blessed him. I'm saying he'll take the little you had. Ray back then did not have hardly any money at all. He invested everything he had into the ministry he was doing. And guess what? One day he said he woke up, looks out on his front porch. There's 120 prepared sandwiches there for him and two dozen loaves of bread. And from there on out, he said the women in his church would make his sandwiches that he would take to that MacArthur Park every day. But he'd preach the gospel to these people. And I'm saying, you know, an example of that is Mary Durfee. She's been giving me books that she's saying, hey, I don't know that I read. And they're great books. I take them in. God will bless the little bit you do. I take them into prison. She says, you think those guys in prison? I said, Mary, they'll love them. And they did. They love Mary. They've never met her. They talk to me. They come up all the time. Hey, you remember that book I gave, you gave me about? I love that book. It's really helped me out. And God's just blessing what she's done. I'm telling you, he'll bless the little bit you have. But Ray would not only give away sandwiches, he would preach the law. He would preach repentance. And he said one time he's up there preaching. He said, I did everything I could. He goes, I hadn't seen any results. He goes, but I did everything I could to make sure I didn't have a false convert, that I didn't say something that would play on somebody's emotion and get him up there, and it wasn't the Spirit of God. And so he tells the crowd, he says, so at the end, he says, so you understand that God is angry because of your sin, that Jesus died on the cross to take the punishment for you. He paid the fine so that you would walk free from the courtroom. And today, if you want to repent and yield your life to God, come right now and stand on my left. And he said the first time this had happened, he'd been going there for weeks, maybe months. He'd just been a long time, not seen any results, but faithfully helping these people out, giving them sandwiches. He had people there. They had cuts. They'd get in fights and they'd bind up their wounds. He said he says that. And there comes three men and a woman standing right there. Get soundly say the next day, the same thing happens. So he's faithful in that little and kept going at it. And God started letting him reap where he had sowed. And I'm just saying it's a great book to read. You wouldn't have any trouble reading it. And it doesn't take you long to read. And so what I'm saying is God will take our little bit. And perform miracles like we sang in our songs tonight beyond what we could imagine. And we can depend on him, can't we? Because he does. We're seeing right here with this feeding of these 5,000 and the other things. He specializes in the impossible. That's what our God. There's this old song. We, I used to sing it when I led praise here. It's a great song. And it goes like this. You got any rivers you think are uncrossable? Got any mountains that you can't tunnel through? 
God specializes in things thought impossible, and he'll do for you what no other power can do. That's a great old gospel hymn. It really is. So you talk about taking a little and doing a lot. One of the greatest testimonies of a life that was totally yielded to him, but just had that little bit to give that he blessed, is that of Jackie Pollinger. I don't know, some people maybe know about her, have read her book. So at the age of 22, she wanted to be a missionary, and she wrote to all the various missionary agencies around, and nobody wanted her. And so she finally, she seeks advice from this minister. His name was Richard Thompson. He said, what you need to do is you need to buy a ticket on a boat that'll take you the furthest it can and pray for God to show you where to get off. This guy was spirit-filled. He had to be to give that kind of advice, all right? And that's what he told her. And so at first she wanted to go to Africa, but then she had a dream that impressed her to go to Hong Kong. And so that's what she did. She bought a ticket and went to Hong Kong on a boat in 1966. And when she got there, this is how many people she knew that lived in Hong Kong. And she had $10 in her pocket. They weren't going to let her on Hong Kong. Everything, you got to go back wherever you got to go back. The only way she got on there is because her mother's godson knew a police officer there. The Lord worked that out. And so she gets a job as a school teacher in this walled city, which is where her ministry took place. And it was a den, a total den of iniquity. And that is an understatement. And it was not policed. It was run by these Chinese criminal triad gangs, they were called. And she started a youth club with no money. It's a tremendous testimony. Here's the thing. She had the baptism of the Holy Spirit. She'd gotten that. When she received it, she didn't really see the purpose in praying in tongues. And so she didn't. She didn't pray in tongues. And then she gets over there to Hong Kong as a missionary, and she's not having many results at all. She said, this is just not working for me. And she meets this American couple that had come to Hong Kong and they'd started a prayer meeting. And when they found out she had the baptism of the Holy Spirit and that she didn't pray in tongues every day, they told her, you make us a promise that you pray in tongues every day. And she did. She said, they convinced me to make that promise. And so what she did, she'd never done this before. In fact, she never really thought much of the prayer language she got when she first received the baptism. But she says, I started praying. I started feeling God's presence. Notice this language is like nothing I had known. And she did it for just 15 minutes every day. But she did it every day. And then it went on from there. And she said, all of a sudden, she notices the power of God's on her. And people she's witnessing to now are getting saved. And I don't have enough time to get into the whole thing that went on with her. But I'm saying these guys that are hooked on drugs, she would pray for them to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit and God would supernaturally deliver her. It was such a tremendous work that went on there. Somebody at the BBC heard about it and they didn't believe it. So they sent a television crew there to find out what was going on. And the person said, when I got there, it was way more than I had ever heard or ever could have imagined. And so she's seeing these hardened gang members, prostitutes, young teenage girls 
I mean, God just blessed that little bit, her little bit of being sold out and that little bit she had, no money, blessed it beyond the wildest imaginations. And it wasn't just these gang members and people that killed other people and addicted on drugs and these teenage prostitutes that got saved and delivered and filled with the Holy Spirit. It was businessmen and lawyers and government officials that knew of that work that was going on there. It was far-reaching. It's unbelievable. Tremendous. Watch it on YouTube tonight. I would recommend you do. It'll take you about 55 minutes. If you can't do it tonight, do it sometime. Get on YouTube and it's called The Law of Love. And you know what bothers me though? They've got an edited version now. Lisa and I heard about this and got it way back when there was an unedited version of this whole story. And in that, these people would talk about receiving the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues. And these people, these men, hardened criminals, their faces would just glow. And so now you know what they've done? They've gone in there all the tongues. It's, it's only about five minutes worth, but it's five minutes that to me like really made the thing. It's still great to watch, but they edited it all out. I guess it offended somebody, right? But it's just an unbelievable story. And I'm saying I share that to say God will take, and that's what we're seeing tonight, the little bit that we offer him. He'll do for us what he did for her. Maybe not that dramatically, but he will, right? You give them something to eat, the people you're around, and see what God does. He's the good shepherd, and he wants to meet the needs of the lost. That's what the Lord does, and he's going to do it through us that little bit that we have. And here's what we need to say. We'll close with this verse. Paul said this in 2 Corinthians 3, 4. He says, such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant. Right? We don't have anything, Jesus. Oh, no, your sufficiency is from God. He'll give you everything you need. Amen? That's what he'll do for us. Let's pray. Now, Father, we thank you, Lord, for what you've shown us tonight in your word, that you'll take the little bit we have and you'll bless it and multiply it and make it a blessing to others, and that you'll work through us in that way. And I ask that you'll give us all a heart, Lord, that we want to find ways to share the gospel, to share the truth, to share the message of repentance unto life with others. And I just ask you'll do that for us here in this church and make evangelism and witnessing of our Lord a priority in our lives, that it's part of being a Christian. And I ask you to do that for all of us here. That's our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.